Hello. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm good. How you doing? Doing well. Nice. What's that shirt you're wearing? Uh, you know, it's a thing I used to work on. It's the Hound. I thought so. Uh, Hound logo. A former ThoughtBot product. I believe uh, it has since changed hands. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Very cool. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what that goes. Yeah. I think ThoughtBot divested of a number of its SaaS properties. I've not followed them closely recently to see if they're still kind of doing the product thing or mostly consulting so i think consulting has been doubled down upon yeah probably yeah. makes sense to focus for that kind of business yeah i mean when you're really really good at consulting and the other stuff is going okay but never that great i mm-hmm. get why you would make that choice and they lost their rock star uh, product manager when he <laughs> right. quit so <laughs> exactly yep I'm doing pretty well. I just got back from, well, not just got back, but last week I was at this little thing I put on called NanoConf. I basically ripped the idea off directly from Brian Castle's uh, Big Snow Tiny Conf, which is more or less an entrepreneur retreat uh, with just a handful of people. So at this last microconf, I had a really good time, but I there were a bunch of people I wanted to see more of. And the microconf week is kind of uh, frenetic. They have like three dinners and like th- three or four lunches, and there's just not that many slots to see people. And so after the conference, I was like, I really actually wanted to see a bunch of people more. And so I just reached out to a number of people and was like, hey, like if I did a small thing, would you come to it? And got enough yeses that I decided to plan this thing out. And so it ended up being on Martha's Vineyard. And it ended up being eight of us total. And I just rented an Airbnb in a cool area. Martha's Vineyard, by the way, is an island off the coast of Massachusetts. And it's also one of my favorite places ever. I've been going there for years. I have um, an aunt and uncle that live there full time. And it's just like ridiculously adorable, quaint, New England-y kind of feel. <laughs> yeah. So I, I love going down there and I, I love bringing people down there. And I was like, wow, I can bring people down there and, you know, get that fix that I wanted of seeing a number of folks more. And so that was last week. It's funny. I remember when you were coordinating that, it, I think it was while MicroConf was still going on, you kind of emailed out some folks and I was on that list and I was just laughing at the fact that like, it was very difficult to find a time slot that would work for everybody you'd reached out to, which is just crazy that like conferences are able to happen at all because what are the chances all these people are free at the same time, you know, to come to a thing. Totally. It's also in the summer. So it's like, or like towards the end of summer. So people are, are busier, I think. And there was no precedent where I was like, hey, like make sure to keep open a week in this month or something. To, so it was tough. Yeah. So I sent out like a doodle thing and there was no date that worked for everyone, unfortunately. So I had to pick one. And tragically, it was one of the ones you couldn't make. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, luckily, bad. I get to talk to you every week or every other yeah. week as it, as it is. So. Yeah. In person might be too much. We probably get sick of each other. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> I just like seeing the upper half of your torso at one time. Yeah. <laughs> you don't even know if I'm wearing pants right now. <laughs> it's true. I, I think sometimes I'm not wearing pants when recording, yeah. <laughs> just, to, just for full disclosure. <laughs> also, when you're in person, I remember that you're like a little bit taller than I am, and it's really upsetting, and I don't like it. So this is better. I just readjusted my height right now so that I look taller than you on our side-by-side video, by the way. You listeners can't see this, but uh, yes. Yeah. At this conference, the, a conference is a sort of a strong word for it. It's a retreat. I don't know. So we did a number of sessions. So I asked everyone to just prepare something like a 10-minute talk to sort of talk to the group about. And some people gave sort of informative, like, this is what I've been doing. This is what's working for me. And some people were just like, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. And the sessions were good. We did, the, we did them all over the place. We were on the beach. We were in parks. Uh, it was kind of all over the island, which was fun. We just sort of fit them in as we could and then did a number of sort of like low-key activities. There was no like big, hey, we're all going to do this crazy thing. But like we went bowling and walking around and touring and things like that. Nice. Yeah. That's cool. So you think you'll do it again? Uh, very likely. It ended up not being that much work logistically. With a group that small, there's just less to do. It all worked out okay. So I, I think I would probably do it again. Everyone, I think, seemed interested in doing it again. And I think it'd be a fun tradition to have. So I think it's likely that I will repeat. Plus, I think everyone got good value out of it. It wasn't just like fun to be on the island. I think it was really fun. It's so fun for me to connect people that don't know each other, that will like each other. And there was a bunch of that over the week. That was great to see. And people could just help each other out. I'd say we inherited kind of the microconf vibe of openness and helpfulness people were totally transparent just to whenever it could be useful to others to know like specific numbers. There was no like worry about sharing private stuff. People were talking about co-founder difficulties in like, you know, very plain language. And it's just, it's nice to have that kind of vibe where people are super honest about things. Yeah, that's really cool. Sort of the microconf mentality. And I think it's just really refreshing that 
people kind of trust each other and have this this transparency and openness. It's uh, I'm finding that it's probably unique to this community. It's really all I've known from these types of you know business communities or entrepreneur communities. But I think it's really special. Yeah, it totally is. So I'm glad we can kind of continue that that trend. I demoed Tuple during the thing, which was fun. It was fun to see like where we were at. And people, a couple of people were surprised at how far along we were, which is gratifying. But one of the big pieces of feedback I got that was pretty strong consensus from the group was that we have three people and three of us working on development is probably too many. And me not working on marketing is probably not ideal. That has a thing we had been sort of going back and forth on and that resonated with me. And so just to get like seven other people kind of saying the same thing was like, okay, this is probably correct. And was the consensus, even if it means it's going to take longer to get your product shipped, it's like important to be doing marketing at this stage? I think so. Yeah, it was sort of like marketing has a really long lead time. There was like the joke of like, you think latency in the product is important to think about, mm-hmm. think about marketing latency. Mm. So it's like, if it takes six to 12 months for like all your marketing efforts to really start paying off, well, I mean, it sure would be nice to get that going soon. The more I dug into the programming and the more I see what needed to be done and, and saw what needed to be learned, the less I was convinced I was adding that much additional value. Mm, interesting. Spencer and Joel are learning what they have to learn quickly and being productive. And since I started later, I was constantly kind of catching up. And Spencer was spending a lot of time like pairing with me and teaching me things. And But I, w- I never even got to the point where I felt like I was really contributing a lot on the on the product side. And so it's like I could keep pushing that thing even further. But it was just like, yeah, like, do we really want to triple, like have just a full investment on this one thing when there's already two people on it? it just it, I, I agree it didn't make that much sense. It's also important to keep in mind the cost of getting someone up to speed with the project, which is why I've been, I've toyed around with, should I be hiring like a contractor to help speed up development for level? And I think right now all decisions can be made basically in one brain and the power of that and the the speed that you can move at is is hard to match when you have uh, another team member. I mean, eventually building out a team makes sense, but there is a cost definitely to, to getting people at that level of um, productivity. So Mm -hmm. totally. And I also just sort of realized like they got it. These are two other really good programmers. Like my technical skills are not going to raise the bar that much over there. Whereas I don't think it would be as easy for either of them to swap over to the marketing stuff. That's me doing a thing that I have maybe a more unique angle on or ability on or, or established audience for. And so it's just, it was like, okay, I'm adding a little bit of value on the dev side, but I could add a lot of value on the marketing side and, and neither of them could really switch and do the same thing. And so, so the more I thought about it, the more it just sort of seemed to make sense, at least for today. I'll probably change my mind tomorrow. That's, <laughs> how I, That's how all right. right. It's your prerogative. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that was my big takeaway. And that, that felt pretty good. And they also, of course, gave us the advice, like, get this thing out the door. Like, come on, like, we know that there's problems. You're, you know, we see the parts you're talking about that are less than great, but like, just, you know, ship it, get it out there. So I'd say that's the sort of the two big takeaways is like, all right, like, let's go. And also Ben market. Yep. Nice. Yeah. What I'm working on right now is I'm trying to put out the best pair programming guide on the internet. And inspired by sort of like the Julian.com style guides, um, more on him later in a bit, but he has like, he writes these incredibly in-depth, long, comprehensive, based on, you know, lots of research and wisdom guides on things like growth hacking or adding muscle or, you know, learn to play piano or whatnot. And I want to try to create that for pair programming. And so just uh, the last couple of days, I've spent sort of building out a, a website, as it's known, I believe, <laughs> I'm making a website. It is HTML and CSS. And it has words in it, and they link to each other, and there's documents and things like that. You might call it hypertext. <laughs> there's hypertext. There's hyperlinks. Um, there's no JavaScript yet, uh, fortunately. Although there's JavaScript in the build process, but don't don't ask about it. <laughs> I want to make a really good website about pair programming, so that a like it trains new pair programmers. Hopefully, like hopefully we can kind of increase the market size indirectly by just teaching people how to do it well. And, you know, establish authority and make us look good. And, of course, have like a, by the way, hey, if you're interested in tools, we have this thing. Um, kind of like a nearish of the top of funnel, build the audience kind of effort. That's cool. I like that because this is one of my big takeaways from, I think it was the last MicroConf, and, or maybe the previous one, or maybe both. But where folks were kind of talking about not getting on the content marketing treadmill, but instead coming out with like one or two really solid comprehensive pieces of content that just continue to 
draw people into the funnel. And I think it's a way to stay off that treadmill, you know? Totally. Yep. And that resonates with me super well. Invest 10 times as much effort, but do it in a smaller area and then maybe be done after a while. Now you have this asset as opposed to this sort of thing you need to keep feeding to get much out of. Yep. So it was interesting. I Googled something like pair programming guide or pair programming tutorial or intro or things like that. And a lot of the results are like a medium blog post from six months ago. That doesn't feel like there's anything that's like really, really comprehensive and good out there quite yet. And so I think there's an opportunity there and we're going after it. Very nice. Seize that opportunity. Yeah. And so I had, I had a, a question and I kind of settled on an answer, but I, I want to get your take anyway, which is, so I'm trying to make a website and part of a website is cascading style sheets <laughs> that mm-hmm. style your content into nice looking things. I'm not very good with cascading style sheets, but I have been trying to educate myself on them uh, so that I can make a better looking website. And I'm doing it myself. And the sort of like ruthless delegator, entrepreneur, optimizer in me is like, you should hire a designer because there are lots of other people that could build you this thing. And you should be doing a thing that only you could do. Another part of my brain is saying, yeah, but I can get this skill. It's not that hard, I think, to get the basics. And then it will be useful later. And also, I kind of want to do it. So shut up. So uh, what are your thoughts on that? I can like totally sympathize with that feeling of wanting to do it. And I think... I think it is within, you know, your ability to learn how to make something that follows kind of the basic principles of design. We're not talking the most complicated design project in the world. It is a website. And so it needs a header and a navigation bar and a title. And you're definitely capable of figuring out how to make those things look nice, provided that it's something that you feel like is, do you have more time than money at this point to invest in learning the basics? You know, that's the equation that you have to contend with. Um, Right. I would say, yes, we do have more time than money. There is cash in the bank. I'd rather save it for things that are harder to learn or harder to do ourselves. So yeah, I I think that is a pretty reasonable justification there. I think it makes sense to pick up adding these small tools to your tool belt as you go, as long as they're like meaningfully small bits of skill, you know, so like you're not, you're not biting off, like needing to spend six months learning how to become a top-notch designer. You're just learning some basics. And I think it's like important to work that in all the time when you're working on stuff. So, yep, that's how I felt too. I'm embarrassingly bad with CSS. Like my my ignorance of it is pretty high. That's always like annoyed me a little bit. Where it's like I want to make a thing. All right, well, I probably need a designer to help me. It's like ah, that's that's kind of lame. Like yes, design is a hard skill, and the people that do it well are valuable and contribute a lot. I don't need to make a thing that's like what an awesome designer would make. I just want like a non embarrassing. This looks decently considered kind of thing especially for this like mostly text website. So that's, that's where I ended up. Are you using Tailwind by chance? I am using Tailwind. Honestly, I think that's like a better on-ramp for someone who's kind of figuring out how to lay out things in a visually appealing way. Because like when you're just dealing with raw CSS, you're kind of like, okay, I need some padding around this thing. Well, how many, like, is it going to be 20 pixels or I'm going to use relative like measure? Like, how am I going to do this? And Tailwind just gives you utilities for like, I want to put put a number two padding on this. Oh, that doesn't look quite right. Let's try number four. And it kind of gives you things that are proportional to each other and font sizing. And I think it's harder to produce bad design in Tailwind than if you were going completely custom CSS. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I'm I'm loving Tailwind so far. It's such it's great. Props to Adam and Co. for putting that together. And by the way, if you already weren't convinced as to how useful it is to have a good network. Uh, I was messaging Adam uh, the other day and I was like, man, I can't, I'm trying to get this thing set up. And like, I'm very confused. I'm in like NPM node yarn hell of trying to get a thing that just compiles some CSS for me. And he's like, oh, you want to just jump on a quick call? And I was like, yes, that would be great. (laughs) And he just spent like 30 minutes or whatever, just like, all right, type this, go here, click this and got the, the basic thing working for me. And man, that's just, it's so useful to be able to do that. Mm, good people. Good people. Yeah. So thanks to him. Thanks, Adam, for being such a helpful guy. This just keeps happening where I need to do a thing. And I'm like, oh, I know someone that knows about thing. And like, we have a somewhat friendly relationship. And so I just reach out and they help me out. And it's like, man, this is so good. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it feels a little bit like cheating. Yeah, totally. Along those same lines, speaking of cheating by asking people <laughs> for help, I scheduled a podcast. Now it's not going to happen for about three or four weeks. But uh, Julian Shapiro of Julian.com fame is coming on this podcast. And so I reached out and said, like, hey, I'm, I'm trying to build a great 
marketing funnel and you're the best person I know that does this. Can we talk about it? And he was kind enough to say yes. Awesome. That'll be, yeah. that should be a good episode. Yeah. I like this like thing of like, do it on the podcast where it's like, I'm going to get help from him, but other, he's going to, other people will hear him help me and hopefully he'll get interesting leads and social proof out of that. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. So that's coming up. Very cool. Coming to a podcast player near you soon. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I think that's it for me. Okay. What's going on with you? Cool. So I just pushed kind of an important update to Level's code base, something I've been considering for actually probably the last few months, I would say. So I updated the license of Level. I've been building it as an open source project for a while. And I started going back to first principles, thinking about what are the reasons why I'm developing this thing as open source. Obviously, I've gotten a lot of questions from people who maybe don't quite know as much about software licensing, just looking at this from the outside saying like, isn't this completely frivolous to do? Like, put all your intellectual property on the internet for anyone to take and use as they please. Like, and so I've sort of had to go through the exercise of justifying like the reasons why I'm doing it. And, you know, some of my goals were like, I want this to be an example of a full scale SaaS applications in some of these emerging technologies that I'm really excited about, you know, Elixir and Elm. Right now, I don't think there's any large production applications built in these technologies that people can just easily look at and and harvest patterns out of and stuff. So I definitely wanted that to be a thing. I wanted users of level to feel confident in knowing what's happening with their data because you can just see the code that's handling the data and see it for yourself and not have to take my word for it. And I also wanted people to be able to download it and host it themselves if they don't feel like paying me for hosting the service. So those were my main goals. Uh, Secondary were like taking outside community contributions. I think, you know, in the research I've done and kind of what I've observed anecdotally, it seems like a majority of companies that have open source code bases are like funding the development themselves. And maybe a small sliver is coming from external contributions, but really the company generally owns the product roadmap and is paying developers to build it. And so that's sort of the reality that I foresaw. I wasn't expecting, you know, the community to be writing a bunch of free code for level that would then turn into my commercial product. So weighing all these things together, I had to like ask myself, is it worth licensing it as a true open source project and risking that someone who's just being an opportunist could come along and download the level code base, swap out the names and start selling a competing service. Is it worth doing that? So I've been kind of looking around for alternative licensing options that still kind of retained the goals that I had for the project, but also gave me a little bit of protection against that potential eventuality and arrived at this relatively new licensing thing called the commons clause. If you've been like following developer news cycle at all, it's pretty controversial. Redis Labs, the company behind Redis, adopted the Commons Clause for a few of their plugins for Redis, and sort of the community blew up over this because some of the most vocal open source uh, advocates are saying, like, you know, Redis has gone proprietary and they've, you know, sold out and yada, yada, yada. I've been kind of following that and figuring out, like, am I potentially wading into controversial waters that I really don't feel like battling right now? All those things kind of played into the decision, but ultimately I decided that, you know, this was the right move for me to feel confident in continuing to share and build out in the open and just be super transparent is to have a little bit of that legal protection in place. Is the only thing that's changing here is people can't now use Level for their own commercial purposes? Yeah. So not even for commercial purposes, like a company can download it and use it in their business as long as they're hosting it for themselves. The only thing they can't do is take the level code base and start slackalternative.com and start selling it as a hosted product or as a downloadable product. So it just puts a restriction on your ability to take it and sell it when it's basically identical to what level is today. That feels hard to argue with. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's ultimately how I arrived at feeling confident enough to do it. And if I get pushback, it's like, well, I could go closed source, like 99% of other software companies who are selling software. But I see these other values in building it out in the open still. So 
arguably, this is still much more permissive than your traditional proprietary closed source company, but just with a little bit of just a little bit of more protection than open source licenses give you. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, that sounds pretty reasonable to me. Yeah. I'd be surprised if you got much pushback. Yeah. I pushed the change and then I wrote up like a little bit, a little license readme, just kind of explaining what is this thing? This is not a standard open source license. So what does it mean? And I sort of explained the implications and then threw the same text basically up on the level journal. And so far, like nobody has, uh, come at me on Twitter. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. so did you good. talk to a lawyer about any of this? I didn't because so the commons clause basically fits exactly what I was looking for. And it was drafted by a pretty prominent, like open source intellectual property attorney. I'm sort of taking the approach of like other companies have also chosen to adopt this. And so their legal teams have likely vetted it as well. And so I think I'm just going to go with that for now. And I'm watching the repository. They've released like a few minor updates to it. So as things evolve, if language gets crisper or whatever, then I'll probably pull those changes into my license. Sure. Seems legit. I like that choice. I think that's wise. You and I were talking after the podcast, I think last week or the week before. And it's like, I was just like, can I just use, make a competitor of level and charge for it? And you're like, I guess so. Yep. <laughs> and that was just like a little bit of like, a, uh, a little concerning. Yeah. I hope to be a good example of like, there is an alternative way. There's there's like a middle ground between fully closed source and fully open source. And I think the kind of the term for that is like source available or shared source. I think Microsoft back in the day called their stuff shared source, which there are people in the open source community who don't like that because it sounds confusing or it sounds like they're trying to confuse people into thinking it's open source, but it's really not. But anyways, naming things is hard. But I think like source available is kind of the the best name right now for this type of licensing scheme and could be a really good thing for companies to do because it gives everyone an opportunity to learn from uh, learn from the code base, see examples of of real production things. But, uh, you know, without the risk of someone just completely putting you out of business. Sounds pretty reasonable. Yeah. If someone does push back on you, I want to hear like what their reasoning is. Yeah. It's like, you should let people start a competitor using your code because <laughs> it's the morally right thing to do. Right. Like, uh, I could see the other side if it were like a thing that a community had developed over a long period and there were there was lots of outside contributions. And it's like, well, every, anyone should be able to do anything with we want with this because we all made it together. Right. But that's totally not what your thing is. Yep. Yep. So that was a big thing that I had to to think through is like, I feel a little bit odd taking outside contributions right now, even with this licensing scheme, because it's like, yeah, I'm fully intending to build a, you know, small, profitable company around this code base. And anyone who contributes code to it doesn't have the same rights that I have to monetize it. So something does feel a little bit strange about that. But, you know, so far, I haven't received any significant contributions like 99% of the code in the code base is stuff I've written and so I've arguably invested six figures worth of my own time into this code base maybe hundreds of dollars of external contribution value so right now it feels totally within balance for me to say like yep this is this is a code base that I'm reserving the right to monetize moving forward I don't know what my stance will be with people who want to make considerable like community contributions I'm not sure but that's, you know, that's not my main goal of open sourcing it in the first place. Yeah. And that would be a nice problem to have, I guess. Yeah. Like, you'll figure that out if you have to. And if you have to, it's because, hey, someone's doing a lot of cool work for me. Right. Which would be nice. Yeah. You know, one of the other objections that I've seen to this type of licensing involves more of a concern around libraries that choose to license in this way, where like, it's a thing that I want to include into my source code to use. And now could someone argue that I'm making money off of their library since I installed it into my code base and my code base makes money. Say, for example, that, you know, Sidekick was licensed in this way and I was building a Rails app that that heavily used Sidekick for background processing. You could potentially argue that the owner of Sidekick could say like, well, your product is benefiting substantially from my code base and it's licensed in this way. So you're violating my license or you owe me money or something like that. That's where some of the, the open source advocates are like arguing that this this licensing clause adds confusion for cases like that. 
But I think that's not really a concern at all for Level because Level is an entire product. It's not a dependency that you install into your code base. It's like a whole thing on its own. And so I think that kind of alleviates that concern. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Cool. I'm glad you resolved this. Yeah. It feels like a weight lifted off my shoulders and I just feel like more confident than ever that I can keep publishing, pushing my code out into the public. And as I work on deployment pipelines, one of the things I thought about was like, if I did open source this fully, then I would be almost incentivized to make it harder for people to deploy it so that I kind of reserve that as like some special sauce that I have that makes the process smooth. But I want to be able to share everything about, you know, deploying Elixir applications that I've learned. So yeah, this just gives me the confidence to to do that without any concern. Yep. Sounds right. So speaking of you and this thing and feeling good and progress and all that, we're almost in October. Yes. <laughs> How are you feeling about uh, your original end of October people testing goal? I think it's theoretically still possible that I would hit it. I went back to my Trello board where I've been planning tasks and tried to aggressively like pull out just the essentials that I would need. And right now it's like 19 Trello cards worth of things that I feel like I really need to have before I can start alpha testing it. And some of those are smaller tasks. Some of those are bigger. Some of them I could probably get just like a, a kernel of it ready to go. And other ones, I, I feel like I need to flush out more. So I haven't gone to the level of like trying to put hour estimates on things and figure out, do I have enough hours in October to get all this stuff done? Which I feel like that might not be totally worth my time trying to <laughs> trying to estimate at that level of granularity. But we'll see. It's It was definitely a good exercise to go through and clarify the list of tasks Every couple of weeks, it's helpful to do that, to kind of revisit, because my Trello board starts to age a little bit and get a little bit out of sync, priorities shift around. So I think that was that was a good exercise to go through. I felt better after doing it, but still not totally confident that I'll hit it in October. We'll just have to see. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. How are you feeling about that? About the list or just about potentially not hitting the deadline? Mostly the latter and just trying to make a business happen against all the odds. Um. Yeah, I'm still feeling impatient as ever, <laughs> you know. There are definitely times where I'm where I feel discouraged or feel like there's there's just so much I have to do and so little time to do it. I obviously want to get there faster, always faster than I am moving, but in general, I think my mental state's pretty pretty good. That's good. I had like a rough day yesterday. And I, I think part of it was like I was like a little bit sick and didn't get quite enough sleep, which always leaves me like really like emotionally more volatile my swings get way bigger when I'm a little sleep deprived. It was like a couple hours and like a couple things happened where it's like, oh, this thing we thought was going to work. It it looks way harder than we thought it was. The thing I'm trying to do looks harder than I thought it was. And like just there was just like two or three things happened within a handful, like an hour. Suddenly the weight of the world and the unlikeliness of it all working out was just like huge in my mind. And I should have talked to Spencer and Joel about it. I, I kind of didn't. I kind of just like sat there on my own and was just kind of like, all right, don't panic. Maybe all right. <laughs> yeah. It was this period where it just felt, it felt real bad. The good news is like it, it passed and I got some good sleep last night. And like today I feel good, got some exercise, feeling less sick. It was kind of like a blip as opposed to a sustained thing. You saying like, yeah, sometimes I still have these times where like, I feel like others oh, so much to do and I wish it were going faster. And I mostly have felt okay about that. But every so often something happens and I'm like, oh God, like this is so hard. <laughs> there's, so, there's so much here. Yeah. I'm always contending with that balance between going heads down, making a bunch of progress and then doing the other things that help, you know, keep level on people's radar. And I can't help myself, but I'm always watching like how quickly is the handle reservation list growing? And I will occasionally check in on, you know, just website stats. How many people are coming to the website from just me putting stuff out into the world? And it has definitely pulled back a little bit from where it was a month ago, I think. And I sometimes just feel like I'm just jumping up and down, waving my arms in the air every day, trying to get people to to pay attention to what I'm doing, which is really what <laughs> what we're doing when we're marketing, right? And so that can that gets a little frustrating sometimes, just feeling like I always need to be doing more to be getting more attention. But gosh, that stuff just takes a lot of time and mental headspace away from making forward progress on the product. So it's a balance. Yeah, for what it's worth. I mean, I still I feel that way too when there are, there are three of us. So I wonder if it's one of those things where it's like, no matter how many people are on this problem, you always feel like there's just so much to do. We have so little time. We got to move faster. Yeah. I'm gaining a new appreciation too for like 
co-founders who are either non-technical or technical, but not actively involved in building the product. Dealing with that impatience must be really challenging because at least I know as a developer that I can get some small wins on moving the product forward and get to benefit from those. And I'm sure you do to a certain degree when you're, you know, when your co-founders making that kind of progress, but you must still feel pretty helpless sometimes to like actually alleviate that concern of like, we need to move faster, but I can't do anything to help us move faster on the product front, you know? Totally. So even as I've switched off the technical stuff, I've tried to think about part of my job is keeping everyone else unblocked. And so it's like, let's make sure that we agree what the next thing to work on is so that as soon as somebody finishes something, they can pull the next thing off the queue. And like, let's make sure we talk about how this new feature should work so we can continue to make progress. And so that helps some of it, I think, where it's like, okay, I'm not contributing directly in this thing, but I can kind of indirectly contribute, keeping the the decks clear and whatnot. Do you guys kind of go through like planning exercises to figure out like what are the next next up tasks to work on? We're, and stuff we're like that? just starting to do that. We actually just did that today. I would say we've been pretty ad hoc up until now because it was kind of always pretty clear what needed to happen. But now that m- more of the pieces are falling in place, it's like there's like three or four things and it's not totally obvious which one the best one is or should we maybe push off two of these until after the alpha and things like that. So we're investing a little bit more time in that now. And just today, actually, Spencer created some mockups in Sketch for this thing that we're about to build and showed them to us as a group. And we went through them. And we picked, we made some decisions and picked some directions and did some sort of high-level design work. And whereas before, it was like pretty obvious. like We don't need high-level design work. We need like to connect two computers together. Like, like <laughs> right. We can't even... Like, I have to be able to call you at some point. But now it's getting a little, little trickier. So we're adopting more process than we have. And I think that's good because we, we st- I started to notice that we were getting to the point where we would hit kind of a thorny design issue. When you have two people controlling the mouse and one person like starts dragging something and the other person clicks, what should happen? The problems are getting harder. At first, we could kind of just like chat about them for a few minutes and then get back to work. And now it's kind of like, all right, we should really think about different options and pros and cons and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good like milestone that you guys have made it to. I always feel this in projects where when you're early enough, there's just so much foundational work laying the literal foundation for the product that like I've tried to make task lists and or- order them, but I find it's like really hard to do in early stages and you just kind of got to go with your gut and and start slotting things together. But then once you get that foundation, then you can start thinking of things more as like, okay, this is a concrete task built on top of this foundation that already exists. And that's like I think overall a really nice place to be in and will help you like get a better handle on when you're actually going to have an alpha product ready to go and stuff. Right. Yeah. That's actually sort of the next thing on the list is like, okay, what let's, let's get an updated list of what really needs to happen before the alpha starts. We made a list like that, but it was like a month ago or two, maybe a little bit longer. And it's just, it's stale. I think our opinions have changed around what's, what's essential and not. So that's, that's high on my list of things to make sure we get done. But yeah, it's interesting to see a little bit more process emerge. Whereas in the beginning, we were kind of, I'm naturally process allergic. And so it's kind of like, let's just talk to each other. Like we, we sit right next to each other. But now it's getting to the point where after that exercise today, in particular with Spencer, it was like, oh yeah, this was, this was good. It was good to see a couple options. It was good to talk through them. And it's nice to have that decision made so that he's clear to move forward. Yep. And next week you'll come in and report that you're now a certified scrum master. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. Doing all kinds of points estimation and sprints <laughs> and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, anything else from you? Uh, no, I think that's it. Okay. So we asked for feedback in our, our recent episode. Actually, by the way, on the retreat, Brian said to me, without having heard that episode, just being like, hey, by the way, like your podcast is awesome. I'm really liking it lately. Uh, I wish you guys asked each other more questions. And I was like, oh, yeah, we totally came to the same conclusion. Like we talked about that exact thing where it's like, I think it's nice when we have a back and forth as opposed to like, here's what I'm doing. Cool. Here's what I'm doing. Cool. Goodbye. A little more, you know, interaction and whatnot. So that was interesting to hear that and, and good timing because we had just kind of come to that conclusion together. But along those lines, Gavin Picken, G Picken on Twitter, took our request for feedback uh, to heart. <laughs> took it very and seriously. Tweet, <laughs> tweeted us seven times with different things, which is uh, very cool of him. And so partly to honor him, I want to just like talk through a couple of these real quick. So his first point was like, he loves it, but he's out of episodes to listen to and he wishes it were longer or there were more episodes, which (laughs) I appreciate. That's nice to hear. I don't think I want to go longer. Yeah, I I tend to burn out faster on 
podcasts that go too long same, or are inconsistent on length, you know? Um, yep. Yeah. I, I like our length. And like, it's funny, you, you and I had talked about maybe going to every other week as opposed to every week because we're a little bit flaky anyway. So I can empathize, but I, I don't know that we're going to make more content. We'll see. <laughs> Might just have to make do with what we have, unfortunately. Yep. 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 We have to fix our SSL. Yep. That's true. <laughs> that's... Although now we know that I think that's on I think it's on you. Yeah, that's on that's on my list. We're gonna be yeah changing okay. some things. So <laughs> okay, so so blame Derek in the future. Whenever that's not fixed, he has nothing else to do. So you know he should be able to just jump yeah. right on this. Yeah, right. He said that he couldn't find the Twitter handle for the podcast, which is fair because one does not exist. Yeah, right. Yeah. Nope. Not as far as I know. <laughs> and our website doesn't have uh, our Twitter handles, which that's kind of goofy. Yeah, we should definitely fix that. I think that one's on me too. <laughs> yeah yeah Derek's in podcast website mode <laughs> um so this was interesting um he says guests are nice but i think the real value you have is sharing your update and story as you grow and progress a guest takes away from that so maybe if you have a guest make it a bonus episode or include them in your updates i think that's an interesting idea i totally could see how that like if you're into the following the story of like what are ben and Derek doing and then we just sort of like skip that when a guest shows up that's not doesn't fit our theme as well yeah and i think like kind of what we did with justin jackson was was sort of along the lines of what he's alluding to where that i liked yeah it was basically an update show but it included a third updater you know yeah Um, like we could just bring people into our process yeah i like that Like i don't think that will would make sense for like julian or something but Mm -hmm. um other people we could just say here's how we usually do it why don't you just also participate in this in this thing but i feel like the the julian type of guest too is probably it's not quite the same as like having just an interview guest on where you're like asking them so what's your story da 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 da. you know you're like you're getting specific advice about something that's a part of your current ongoing theme so that's going to be a good one too i think and still consistent with our format totally yep uh, and then I'm just going to get to the last one, which is he asked if the the fact that we have no formal intro on the podcast was a decision uh, or is it one of those things that's always at the bottom of the to-do list? <laughs> I would say it's neither. It's, it was not so much a decision and it also is not even on a to-do list. <laughs> I believe when we had initially starting the podcast, we were like, oh, we should probably get like some intro of some kind. But then I don't think either of us thought it was serious enough to even put it on a list so right exactly (laughs) we sort of never did that and it was like i heard a couple where it just starts with us talking and i was like this seems fine yeah and now i kind of feel like it's a little bit of our our trademark it's our signature yeah i think so i I don't listen to our episodes very often but every so every once in a while i will and i hit play and it's just like hello hello and i'm like Mm -hmm. wow it's just like right into it (laughs) and uh I, i don't hate it it's it's refreshing. I feel like we're cutting all the BS. We're just getting right down yeah, to business. Yeah, exactly. We respect your time too much to have an intro. Right. Also, I have this this thing that my friend Matt Stauffer told me, um, which he said, if a podcast so much as changes its intro song, I will stop listening. <laughs> just because like it just wrecks my habit. Just because a thing that I'm used to is gone now. Oh, so geez. now I feel like we can't add an intro ever. Right. <laughs> right. We should like learn a new language and start introducing start like saying hello in a different language just to see if it throws someone off yeah so, so we got in this habit of like that the tom obarski puns mm-hmm. with giant robots and like having a to-do that changes per episode <laughs> was a bit of a mistake yeah that was not a good that <laughs> gotta stay off the treadmill yep <laughs> i agree yeah <laughs> cool thank you gavin yeah thanks gavin thanks uh, gavin for uh, all that feedback and uh, if you hear that feedback and disagree or agree or want to add, please do keep it coming. Uh, we want to make the show good. So please keep telling us what you think. Yep, please. Yeah. And show notes. Show notes can be found at artofproductpodcast.com with soon to be fixed SSL. Um. Yeah, don't try the <laughs> HTTPS version of that. <laughs> yes. Cool. Thanks for listening. Thanks. So you're doing some strength training. So I'm doing some strength training. I'm on day two after um, after my workout, and I keep making noises like I'm an old man because mm-hmm. I'm so sore. <laughs> um, Where are you sore? Oh, everywhere, really. I mean, there's <laughs> like some weird spots. Like I, this is like what I'm pointing to. Is this like a tricep? Tricep, yep. Area right here, right next to the elbow, was like. Mm. I mean, I was like laying in bed, and I woke up at 4 a.m. this morning, just like in utter pain right mm-hmm. there and it's like it's muscle pain it's not like i don't think i had like improper form or like weird joint pain or anything it's just yeah it's purely like shredded muscle tissue but i ugh. love that yeah i i i love that feeling 
<laughs> I mean, there's parts of it that I do love, but then like this morning it was like excruciating, popped a few Advil. I think that helped. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be excruciating. I think you may have yeah. gone a little, I mean, it's your day two. Like you're, you're going to be kind of wrecked. Yeah. I think that I feel like this always happens though. When I start a new exercise regimen of some yep. kind, like first time I rode, I was like my whole entire body hurt, but then, you know, totally. Do we talk about uh, why this is a common phenomenon? I don't think so. No. So, so if you, if you come back to a, a thing, particularly strength training after mm-hmm. a long layoff, um, your ability for, so your muscles have degenerated a fair amount, like you've lost muscle mass, but the nerves ability to cause the muscle tissue to fire and contract degrades slower than the muscle tissue itself. Hmm. So your brain basically still has a really fat pipe and can tell the muscle to contract really hard, but the muscle is no longer like big enough, strong enough to sort of take that kind of force anymore. And so it's like, it's actually a pretty common phenomenon of coming back after a layoff and you lift kind of what you used to lift and you're like, Oh my God, I'm now destroyed. And that's basically the reason why. That's wow. Part of it. That's fascinating. It's hard to believe that like that muscle tissue would fluctuate like enough for it to um to make that kind of difference, but I mean it's from things that I've read and like that anecdote it seems like it's true that like yeah, you know, maybe you don't notice like a visible loss in muscle mass, but you probably are fluctuating all the time depending on sure how much yeah. you Yeah, it's hard. I think it's hard to detect your own like body comp changes too unless they're pretty extreme because yeah. they yep. move so slowly in your eyes yeah it's not until you like see the friend you haven't seen in a while they go oh wow you look fit or something you're like oh cool nice or you see an old you see an old picture of yourself from like right. six months or a year ago and you're like whoa it's a little yeah. pudgy there or whoa. yeah yeah <laughs> yep, i love that yeah um i've also been tracking uh, so as part of this like i want to kind of track what i'm eating calories make sure i'm getting the right amount of protein and stuff and mm. um like my target so this is based on the the body comp bod pod analysis Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what my resting metabolic rate is and then what, like with certain different levels of activity, how many calories I need to consume. And it's like a lot, like, mm-hmm. I think I've haven't been consuming enough according to like that chart, but mm-hmm. man, it's hard to eat that much food, <laughs> which mm. I guess is a good problem to have. Cause I love food, but, uh, mm. yeah, I want, yeah, that's interesting. I feel like most people, when they start tracking their calories, they find they're eating less than they thought. They're eating more carbs than they thought, and then not nearly yeah. as much protein. That, at least yeah. that's, that, that keeps happening to me whenever yeah. I've done it. It's like, yeah, yeah I'm it's probably getting 150 grams protein, no problem. It's like, <laughs> oh, you mean 70? Because that's what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, it's, it's really hard. I mean, I don't know if it's just the the things that are in our common diet or whatever, but like, I feel like we're probably all protein deficient all the time, unless you're really like on top of it. Yeah. And then there's like, pr- yeah. And there's like your goal, if you want to add substantial muscle mass and be super active versus walking around and just being normal, right? pretty different. But yeah, I yeah. think you're right. Like, especially like breakfast, for example, like a lot of people are just like, oh, I just have no breakfast or like I have mm-hmm. a piece of toast or I have some cereal. And you're like, that's all garbage. You're, what are you doing? <laughs> like, And like, I found it's interesting, like breakfast, depending on what I eat and the ratio of like food to coffee really impacts my morning and for me my morning is like my most productive time of the day so i can i can really hose my entire work day by not like doing proper breakfast totally i don't yeah i i hear that i also think like if you have a goal of getting a fair amount of protein during the day you basically can't skip breakfast like if you don't and you can't have crap where it's like if you don't get 20 or 30 grams of protein at breakfast you got no hope of getting to the 100 and something Mm -hmm. 200 grams of protein you're trying to get anyway yeah you got to get that started yeah plus totally. like f- fire up that metabolism like let's go it's morning mm-hmm. but yeah that ratio of food to pro- of coffee man that's huge because like i love a bunch of coffee in the morning and i i don't always have a big appetite for breakfast so i usually have like a couple eggs with some cheese or something um yeah. and that is pretty good but then like if i also drink a bucket of coffee i get like just bad burny stomach acid going on and i'm like this yep. is not this can't be good for me yep <clears throat> yeah yeah Ah, nutrition is hard, but yeah, you can at least like, I feel like, so my fitness pal is great for like, mm. they have almost every type of food from almost every vendor in there, which is really nice. And mm-hmm. so 
feel like they're making it about as easy as it probably can be. Um, it's also an incentive not to like, I don't eat out that much as it is right now, but it kind of does incentivize me to like cook at home over eating out because it's really hard to like put restaurant food in like and know what what's in it, you know? Yep. So I feel like that's a good, that's a good, like, I need to do that pressure. Yeah. I'm eating out way too much. <laughs> now, I, I partially mitigate it by like kind of eating out where like I have the service that I use that I order food and they deliver like mm-hmm. pre-made meals that are like great because they're really healthy and organic and all that. And, and so they're good, but they're still not like cheaper. Like they're about yeah. as much. It's like a little cheaper than going out and having, you know, retail food. Yeah. yeah. But damn, it gets like it just I just keep looking at my expenses. and I'm like, I basically have like rent <laughs> and then like food is like rent again. <laughs> And it's yeah. like, uh, I don't think that's how that's supposed to be. Oh yeah. I've definitely been there. <laughs> I've spent more than my rent on food in a month. Yep. Like it's yeah. kind of yep. horrifying. I have too. I have a tab at the coffee shop around the corner from me. And oh no. That tab used to be really gnarly and it's bad too, because I have, I have my own machine for making coffee at home, which mm-hmm. does help, but mm-hmm. <laughs> that's rough. Yeah. Yeah, and the bad news is we're, we're also just dying every day. So, like, all this nutrition and fitness stuff, like, you're just degrading anyway. Like, you're only right. going to get worse. <laughs> like, it's a morbid God. way to look at it, but it true. is. <laughs> it is, yeah. It's like, God damn it. I'm just trying to hold off, like, being a total wreck. <laughs> right. It's like, hopefully it won't be, like, until I'm, like, 75 that I'm just, like, completely falling apart and just, uh, yep. just yeah. That'd I nice. know. It's so funny. There's, like, there's parts of me, too, that, like, so I don't have great knees, and it's mm-hmm. just like genetically, I was born with like crooked, slightly crooked knees, just enough mm-hmm. where like running my knees will hurt after a certain period of time. So like, you know, when I was a little kid, doctors wanted to like break both my kneecaps and reposition oh my them. And my parents were like, no, thanks. We're not going to do that. Um, Yikes. So like, I just know, like, I don't know, it was a few years ago. I was like, it was when we were in our our newer drip office and there were like three flights of stairs and I was like running up and down those stairs multiple times a day. And like one day I think I did some like minor injury in there and my knee completely swelled up for a few weeks. Mm. And now it just like crackles a little bit when I like Mm. bend it in a certain way. And I'm like that knee, I don't know, 20 years, 30 years, it's going to be replaced. Like I'm going to need knee replacement. The the good news is medical science does keep getting better. And so, yes. like, they might just inject some, like, knee stem cells in there. That's true. And yep. you'll be all good. Hopefully, they can get that all figured out by the time I need it. <laughs> that would be great. That's what I'm holding on to. You know, it's like, yeah. okay, if I could just live long enough that science gets good enough <laughs> that I can repair some of these things, I should be okay. Yeah. Maybe I'll make it to 77. <laughs> I come uh, from a, lo- a long line of bad heart disease, so. Oh, no. We'll see. Mm. Although, honestly, that's that's good. Like, heart attack is a great way to die. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, there's, there's not... Yeah, relative. relative I mean, everything's relative. You don't want to die, but, like, you're going to right. somehow. And, right. like, there's just a... Like, cancer, terrible. Alzheimer's, yeah. pretty terrible. It's yeah. Like heart, heart disease, at least it's, you know, maybe you just get it real quick. Like, holy crap, my chest really hurts. <laughs> and then you're dead. And you're like, okay, well... <laughs> that's true. That's Something, like, good. really acute and quick is far better than if i could yeah if i could choose i would take that yeah it's gonna be something not everyone can die in their sleep unfortunately this is true this is true grandfather did though good on him smart smart decision (laughs) yeah (laughs) good call that's good stuff uh speaking of aging i'm turning over a new decade uh in two days are you yes you're gonna be 30 30 you're so i I keep forgetting you're younger than i am (laughs) You look like you're 50, to be honest. Well, especially with this beard. <laughs> That's look, what I'm counting on. Yeah. I have this beard now, and the moment where I want to like suddenly look five to ten years younger, I'm just going to shave it off, and then I'll boom. Yeah. If you were like, I'm turning 40, I'd be like, okay, yeah, I see it. <laughs> 30? Uh, God, what? You're, see, I've, got, I've now reached the age where I'm annoyed at young people. <laughs> you become a Younger curmudgeon. people. Yeah. It's like, you're just turning 30. God, that's annoying. Like, why are you so young? <laughs> well, I used to be, I remember like being the young person in, in things. Like I was like ahead of my age for what I was doing. And people were like, wait, you're what? And they'd be like, they'd be like blown away. And I remember being like, this is awesome. I'm the young one. This yeah. is cool. And now I'm, <laughs> I'm not the young one at almost anything anymore. It's kind of annoying. Yeah. That is true. I, I kind of relished in that too. I was always young for my grade and mm-hmm. and like 
I always wanted to be older than I was. And then mm. I got to be an adult and I was like, yeah, like when adults used to tell you like, oh, just relish being a kid because you have no responsibilities. I'm like, yeah, but you don't have any freedom or money either. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of nice being an adult, but mm-hmm. I don't know, kind of. I don't feel I don't feel the same kind of um, like angst about turning 30 than a lot of peers that I know that have turned 30. That's I think good. I'm like, I think the 30s are going to be good. Yeah, I'm halfway through. They're pretty great so far. Yeah. Although I definitely like the physical stuff is starting to catch up. Mm-hmm. It's like just you can just get away with less. Or it's like bad sleep. I'm a mess. A little bit sick. I'm a mess. Like yeah. not working out the right amount, not eating the right amount. It's just like every, just less resilient in like a bunch of different dimensions. Right. You can't get away with as much. And that's why that's part of the reason why I feel like you know, I really should, like, why shouldn't I be strength training right now? I should. Yeah. I should be getting my body yeah. in the best shape I can and putting the right things into it because that's only going to make my life, you know, better <laughs> as so, I continue getting older. I stayed with a friend recently and I saw his parents and I hadn't seen his, them in probably f- maybe four or five years. And his dad is 75 and he looked exactly the same as the last time I saw him. And he looks exactly the way he has every time I've seen him. And I was like, yeah. how does your dad keep doing this? And he's like, he works out every single day. He lifts yep. weights a lot and he gets a lot of cardiovascular exercise. And that just always seems to be the answer. Yep. It's almost never like, you look amazing. What's your answer? Like, oh, I smoke a pack a day. Like, <laughs> it's always pretty much exercise. Yep. And so, I think, I think yeah. if you get, if you get started young and you build the habit and you, your body is accustomed to it, then mm-hmm. like continuing it is like not super hard. I think if you were to like, I'm going to turn over a new leaf when I'm 55 or 60. I'm going to start exercising consistently. Like your body's probably kind of like, whoa, what are we doing here? Right. And you're already, yeah. Like you already have a bunch of just crap that's already happened to you. That's negative. It doesn't doesn't reverse. It's like like your spine is already starting to have problems because it didn't have enough muscle built up around it to support you for the last couple decades. And so you're, you know, now you're dealing with those problems. Yep. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's keep working out then. Yeah. I've been, I've been. Yeah, I, I, man, one, one really great thing is the freedom to go do this, like the workouts mm-hmm. where it's like we lift during, I'm, I'm doing a lot of exercise during the day and biking around and it's just, it makes a huge difference if I don't yeah. have to try to slot it in somewhere. Yeah, that is one of the big benefits of either working for a flexible employer with flexible mm-hmm. time schedules or being self-employed. I feel like it's so nice to mix it in during the day as opposed to shoving it, you know, way totally. early or way late in the day. Yeah, I always had consistency problems when it was like me trying to fit it in occasionally and I was doing it by myself. But now that's like as we as a group go during the day, uh, we just yeah. we go a lot and it's it's awesome. I've been, I've been yeah. in better shape than way better shape than normal for me. Yeah, which is cool. That's good. That's yeah. good because a lot of times it's the opposite when you're building a startup, right? Everyone just kind of you just sit there and drink soda Type. and eat junk food and code 20 hours a day and like, hmm. yeah, I don't know how, how I don't know how to how to do that. Nope. I don't have that in my skill set or in my, in my ability list. For the better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, let's wrap it. All right. Until uh, next time. Good talking to you. You too, man. Later.